Thanks, Travis. Hey, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Glad that you are here. Those of you joining us online, glad that you're with us this morning as well. Um, before I get started, just let me say something. A couple months ago, we talked a lot about our desire to have this 242 focus, Acts 242. And in the last couple weeks, I haven't really said too much about that publicly. Uh, but maybe, maybe it's because I'm a preacher and I see some things that not everybody sees and I hear some things that not everybody hears. But I just want to say how impressed I have been and how encouraged I have been by so many of you who are intentionally doing those things that we talked about. And we talked from the beginning, it's supposed to be some program that you, you know, check into and out of. It's just something that we want to try to make part of who we are and what we do, to be more devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And I see that happening on so many levels, just kind of in an organic way. And um, it's very encouraging to me. So keep up the good work, I guess. But, but thanks for that. Okay. Last Sunday was Senior Sunday here at Bay Area, and I used my time to share some thoughts centered around the biblical character of Joseph. And I mentioned last week that this guy, Joseph, had this incredible family, but it was an incredibly dysfunctional family. This morning, I actually want to go back. I want to go back to that dysfunctional family for a week. I don't want to talk about Joseph again. Instead, I want to talk about Joseph's dad, a guy by the name of Jacob. And I told you last week that Joseph is one of those rare, rare people in Scripture that you really can't point to a glaring character fault in his life. I mean, he's just a man of consistent integrity. We cannot say that about his dad, Jacob. Jacob had some serious issues going on. In fact, Jacob was kind of messed up a lot of the times. But he had one real problem, one flaw that seemed to follow him really Throughout his whole life. You see it really from his birth uh, up to his death. Um, so we're going to get to that story. But before we do, I've got a question that I want to ask you. And the question is, who taught you how to lie? Maybe you've never thought of that before. Don't answer out loud, by the way. Don't point to anybody sitting beside you. But really, who taught you how to lie? Now, we remember who taught us how to ride a bike. Drive a car, tie our shoes, play an instrument, you know, sew on a button. We remember who taught us those things. Chances are you can't remember who taught you how to lie. Because we've always known how to lie, right? It comes kind of natural, yeah. Research says that babies as young as six months old can fake cry to get their parents to come pay attention to them. Six months old. Some of you are thinking six months, nothing. Six days, right? Yeah. You know, that baby's crying. You walk in, oh, what's wrong? You're comforting that baby's thinking, sucker. (laughs) Got you wrapped around my finger. And they do, right? You know it. They know it. They just know how to lie, how to be deceptive. And then it's not something that we outgrow. We just get better at it. We start using words, right? I mean, we learn this at such an early age. I was looking for a video clip that I could show about how kids are just kind of, they know how to deceive at such an early age. 
And I stumbled on one that some of you have probably seen this before. It was years ago, but Jimmy Kimmel in his late night show had this running gag where he called himself the lie detective and he asked little kids questions to see if they would tell him the truth. Take a look at this video. Nope, one too many. There we go. What did I do, Matt? A lot of children, you know, a lot of kids want to be NBA players when they grow up, but let's not kid ourselves. That probably isn't going to happen for most of them. It's important to be honest with kids, but it's even more important that they are honest with us. And that is where Jimmy Kimmel, lie detective, goes to work. Hi there. How you doing? Nice to meet you. That's the truth fairy. Hi. Go ahead and have a seat right there. How are you? Good. You having a fun day? Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, Officer Jimmy. It's very nice to meet you. Have you ever met a police officer before? Yeah. Have you ever taken a lie detector test before? You have. Okay, good. Then you're going to be old, an old hand at this. So um, the Truth Fairy is going to go ahead and put these things on your fingers. He's going to hook you up. Now we're going to put this uh, helmet on you. Have you ever worn a helmet before? Like Iron Man, right? Yeah. And I'm going to ask you some questions, and all you have to do is tell me the truth, okay? Yeah. Do you know what the truth is? Yeah. Okay, perfect then. What is your name? Aaron. Aaron? How old are you? Four. Do you go to school? Yeah. Okay. Do you like school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a girlfriend? Yeah. Ooh, what is her name? Mia. Mia? How old is Mia? Um... She's 4'2". She's 4'2"? Have you ever kissed Mia? Yeah. You have. Did you kiss her on the lips? Okay. Um, do you think you might marry Mia? You do. Is Mia a monkey? She's a girl. She's a girl. A human girl? Okay. Have you ever been to space? Okay, I'm going to ask that again. Have you ever been in, to space? Yeah. Okay, the machine is saying no. When did you go to space? Um, for five days. For five days? And where did you go? To the moon? Yeah. Uh-huh. And did you have fun on the moon? Yeah. What kind of things did you do on the moon? Um, play there. Well, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, will you go to the moon again soon? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any pets at home? Yeah, I do. What do you have? A sheep and a hippo. You have a sheep and a hippo? Something went crazy here. Is this a real hippo? Yeah. Is this a stuffed hippo? Uh, no, it's pretend. It's a pretend hippo. Okay. Do you ever pick your nose? No. Uh, yes, I did. You did, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, right? Yeah. And then do you ever eat it? No. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, you did? Okay, good. All right. Well, thank you very much, Aaron. I appreciate your time. The Truth Fairy is going to unhook you now and take the helmet off you. We'll see you on the moon, okay? Yeah. Okay, aren't you glad that you're not hooked up to a lie detector test when you talk to people, right? Well, that's just kids. You know, that's just little kids. Of course, they're going to be, you know, have trouble telling the truth all the time. 
But again, we all grow up, right? We don't outgrow uh, being dishonest. Sad fact is we just get better at it. And in fact, there is a, uh, some research done out of the University of Massachusetts that says in a 10-minute casual conversation, you can expect a person to lie nine times. Nine lies told in 10 minutes of... Oh, wait, I'm sorry, three times. Three lies told in 10 minutes of casual conversation. Which means if this is a 30-minute sermon, you can expect me to lie to you nine times. I appreciate that amen, brother. I don't. That's a lie, actually. That's one. And maybe I should shrink it down to 10 minutes. Then I'd, you know, I'd do away with two-thirds of my lies, right? Yeah. Actually, the most famous story in American history about telling the truth is based on a lie. You know the story of George Washington cutting down his father's cherry tree? And we all know that story. His dad comes home, who cut down my cherry tree? And little George said what? I cannot tell a lie. It was me. We all know that story. That story, a complete lie. That appeared in a book over 200 years ago by a guy named Pastor Weems. Made it completely up. Not a shred of truth to it. This guy was a preacher. Um, So imagine that. (laughs) The most famous story about telling the truth in American history was told by a preacher about a politician. Didn't see that coming, right? But deception is just so woven into the world that we live in and the lives that we lead. In fact, so much so, we don't really get surprised when someone tells us a lie. We're not surprised when, when people lie to us. We don't believe everything we read in the ad. We don't believe everything that the, that the salesman tells us. We don't believe the news that we hear on television, Right? We're very skeptical of that. We're kind of trained to be skeptical. When we meet someone who is completely honest, it takes us back. Wow, that guy was really telling me the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Now, I asked you who taught you how to lie. Actually, Scripture gives us a little insight into that. Scripture says that Satan, the evil one, is the father of lies, that lying is his native tongue. But you remember Jesus said in the book of John, if you hold to my teaching, you're truly my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said the truth is going to set you free. The other side of that then is the truth sets you free. A lie will imprison you, right? If the truth frees us, then... Dishonesty is going to bind us. I've got 1 John chapter 1 uh, on the board there. John writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's the great invitation that John gives. Live in the light. Walk in the light. Have fellowship with each other in the light. That's 242, by the way. 
Have fellowship with the Lord in the light. That's 242 as well. Take advantage of the sacrifice. But you've got to walk in the light. Okay. I said I was going to talk about this in the context of this old character, um, Old Testament character by the name of Jacob, and I'm going to do that. There are a lot of things in the story of Jacob that could have and should have been brought into the light, but they weren't. Last week I gave you kind of a Reader's Digest version of the life of Joseph. I'm going to do kind of the same thing with Jacob. I'm going to go through it very quickly, but I want you to pay attention to how much deception... How much dishonesty is woven into this story? Jacob has a father, a guy by the name of Isaac. His mother was named Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah have twin boys. One of them is Jacob. Jacob is the younger of the twins. He has an older brother named Esau. When they're born, Jacob is actually holding on to the heel of Esau. In fact, the name Jacob means grabbing the heel. But it was really more than even that. It was an idiom that was used in that culture. They wouldn't have said, oh, you're pulling my leg. What they said was, you're grabbing my heel. The name Jacob actually means deceiver, grabbing the heel. From birth, Jacob is associated with someone that may or may not be telling the entire truth. So I guess we should be careful what we name our kids, right? We're going to pick this story up towards the very end of Isaac's life. Isaac is an old man. His eyesight is gone. His other senses are failing. And Isaac has a favorite of those two boys, and it's not Jacob who we're talking about today. It's the older brother, Esau. That's Isaac's favorite son. He was a man's man. And Isaac wanted to make sure that Esau was the one that was going to receive the birthright, the blessing, which was a huge deal in that culture. So Isaac knows that he's getting very old, and he says, listen, son, Esau, I want you to go out, and I want you to to hunt some game and make that stew that I love. Bring it back, and I'm going to enjoy that, and then I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to give you the the birthright before I die. Now, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, hears this, and she could have brought this into the light. She could have said, hey, Isaac, we need to talk about this as a family. Hey, Isaac, there's some prophecy that we need to talk about, you know, as a family. But she doesn't do any of that. Instead, she goes to her other son, Jacob, who is her favorite. And she says, listen, your dad's about to give the birthright to your brother Esau. We need to stop that. We need to do something about that. You go put on Esau's clothes. Put some animal hair on your arms because your brother's so hairy. I'm going to make the stew, and then you take it to your dad, and you tell him that you're Esau, and you're ready for the blessing. At this point, Jacob could have brought some stuff into the light. Jacob could have said, what? No, mom, no, we can't do that. Come on, we can't deceive dad that way. But Jacob doesn't do that. Instead, he makes the decision to collude with his mother. You read about it in Genesis chapter 27. Um, It's really kind of a heartbreaking story. It's, It's tragic, really. Genesis 27 says, he, being Jacob, went to his father and said, my father. Interesting. When Jacob says, my father, he's not telling a lie, is he? Jacob is the son of Isaac. That is his father. So when he says, my father, he's being completely honest with his dad, isn't he? No, he's not. 
He knows that Isaac is going to assume that it's Esau. He's trying his best to make sure that he does. How often do we, do we tell ourselves, you know, it's not that big a deal because I'm literally telling the truth. You know, I'm not really telling a lie. You know, what I said was, was, was pretty much the truth. We think about lying, we think about dishonesty as those little sins. Not that big a deal. I don't remember how many families and how many lives have been destroyed because of deception and lies. So we kind of rationalize, okay, I didn't technically tell a lie. Yeah, if you're trying to deceive someone, you're being dishonest. Even if technically what you say is true. By the way, Isaac is skeptical as well. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Which son are you? And again, at this point, Jacob has to make a decision if he's going to go all in on the deception. Again, he could say, it's me, Jacob, Dad. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. But he doesn't. And he crosses that line. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac is still not completely convinced. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Again, Jacob could have come into the light. He could have come clean. This is nuts, Dad. It's, it's me. It's Jacob. I'm sorry. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, the Lord your God gave me success. Not just the Lord. The Lord your God gave me success. So now Jacob actually brings God into this thing. Well, God was with me. It's God's will that we are right here where we are right now. You ever done that? Have you ever convinced yourself? Well, this is God's will when you know it's not. This is what God wants for me. This is what God wants to happen. So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it happens because it's really what I want. But I'm going to convince myself it's what God wants as well. Again, the dishonesty in this family, it's, it lasts for generations. But it's just a family that kind of ends up being a train wreck of lies and deceit. And all these things that are done in the darkness. Well, eventually, of course, Esau shows up. He's got the game. He's expecting the blessing. Instead, he hears this. Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau's response is, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Well, he certainly is living up to his name, isn't he? I'm grabbing your heel. I'm deceiving you. You know, you tell a lie, and then you tell another lie, and then you're dishonest again because you've got to you know, tie it all together. And what do you become? You become a liar. Say, oh no, that's not who I really am. No, no, that, that's, that's not really me. Well, yeah, it really is. You know, you're Jacob. I'm Jacob. We're all deceitful. We're all Jacob. Well, obviously Esau's pretty upset with his little brother Jacob. And he vows to kill him because of this deception. Mom, Rebecca, hears about this. She realizes she's got to get Jacob out of town or big brother Esau is going to kill him. Now, she can't tell Isaac that 
Because if she tells Isaac that, then Isaac's going to know that she was the one that was eavesdropping on the conversation. He's going to know that Rebecca was kind of behind the whole deception. So she has to come up with another reason that she wants Jacob out of town. Deception runs through this whole story. Here's Rebecca's reasoning. Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Tell us how you really feel about the neighbor girls there. No, Rebecca? She says, I can't stand if my son marries one of these Hittite women. We've got to get him out of here. By the way, Esau married a couple of Hittite women. She didn't seem to mind that too much. But of course, she doesn't want Esau killing her favorite son, Jacob. But I think still there's something else going on here. I think she doesn't want to let Isaac in on the lie that she is perpetuating as well. That she was the one who set up this whole deception. So she tells Jacob, you got to get away, go live with Uncle Laban, which is super ironic. If you know this story, most of you do, you know that Laban was actually so much of a bigger and better con artist than Jacob ever was. Jacob flees to his uncle Laban. Laban has a couple daughters. One is named Leah, his oldest daughter. One is named Rachel. Leah is what you would call not a beautiful woman. Um, Rachel is drop-dead gorgeous. Guess which one Jacob falls in love with? Just take a guess. Yeah, the pretty girl, right? The, the, the pretty younger daughter. Laban says, you can marry this daughter of mine, Rachel, if you work for me for seven years. Jacob says, done. He's all on board. In fact, Jacob will say at the end of seven years, it went by so fast. So it's the wedding night. It's dark. Apparently there's a lot of alcohol involved. I don't know. Um, but the bride is brought to the wedding tent. Jacob believes that he has just married Rachel, the younger daughter that he's in love with. Scripture says, in the morning, it was Leah. In the morning, he's actually waking up beside the older daughter, Leah. Jacob is a little upset. Jacob did not see that coming. In fact, Uncle Laban says, you're going to have to work seven more years if you want to marry my, my younger daughter, Rachel. Notice Jacob's response when he's on the receiving end of the deception. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? I think we can understand how upset Jacob was with this deception, right? This would be a bit off-putting. Doesn't Jacob perfectly model human, you know, the, the way we are? See, when I deceive you, it's not that big of a deal. Get over it. When I deceive you, I can forget about it pretty quickly. When you deceive me, game on. I'm not going to forget that. I'm going to carry that with me for a long time. See, we think again, well, it's just a little lie. Who's it going to hurt? It hurts. When you're the one being deceived, you know how badly it hurts. 
you know how much damage can be done. You know, the pain that we inflict, the damage that we do whenever we intentionally deceive someone, it's, it's incalculable. And there's so much deceit going on in this story. Let me share with you one more example. I could share with you several more, but let me just, just one more. At one point, God instructs Jacob to go back home. And this is just a kind of an example of how deeply this deception gets in the human spirit. Again, this is, this is kind of us. Uh, Genesis 31. The Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. And then in the next chapter, Jacob is praying to God, and he's sort of reminding God of what he promised him. But there's a little difference in the way Jacob remembers the promise and how God spoke the promise. See if you can pick up the difference. Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. See the difference? God did not promise, I'm going to make you prosper. What God promised was, I'm going to be with you. I don't know if Jacob is is trying to pull one over on God or not. What I really think is happening is this this idea of trying to personally level the playing field, of being deceitful, of trying to make sure that I get my own way. I think it's just so embedded in Jacob that he's not even sure that he does it. But he does it. I I think we do the same thing. Again, we're Jacob. Hey, God, you kind of owe me this. You know, I remember what you promised, God, and you kind of promised me this. And I'm expecting you to come through on your promise as I remember it. Listen, God remembers what he promises. <laughs> and you can trust that God is going to keep every promise he's ever made. We've got to be honest enough and humble enough to know that God knows what he's doing. And God knows what's best for us. You know, you think about the story of Jacob. This, this deceit, this manipulation... It just runs so deeply through this story. Going and going and going. And you think how differently this whole story would have played out if Jacob had just said to his father, Hey, Dad, I'm really hurt. Is there a blessing in there for me as well? You think how this, different this story would be if Jacob had said to his brother Esau, Listen, let's not live in competition anymore. Let's act like brothers. Let's want the best for each other. Or if Rebecca had said to her husband, Isaac, I'm worried about my boy Jacob. Or if Laban had said to Jacob, I'm worried about my daughter Leah. How different this story would have been if this family would have acted more like a family. If these chosen people of God would have acted more like the chosen people of God. Uh, Don't miss this, by the way. This is the family that God has chosen. This is the chosen family of God. This is the people that God chose to start this whole community. The Messiah is going to come from this dysfunctional, messed up, deceitful family. I think maybe the reason that we get so dishonest with other people is, again, because this deceit, this this feeling that we've got to do something to get what we want. It's just so deep within us that we don't realize we're doing it. We don't realize we're telling three lies every ten minutes of conversation. 
We don't realize we're causing someone to, to think differently about us or about a situation. We just, we just do it. Maybe it's because we don't trust God enough to keep His promise. We don't trust God enough to get us where we want to go the way He wants us to get there. Remember where we started this whole thing in the, in the book of 1 John. This is the message we've heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, this whole sermon so far has led to my one, my one point. This is a one-point sermon. And my point is really a question. Where is God calling you to step into the light? This story happened a long time ago. Boy, those crazy people back there in the Old Testament, they were something, weren't they? Let's bring it to today. Your life. Where is God calling you today to step into the light? Now, maybe that's some financial deception that's going on in your life and it's causing a great deal of stress and shame. And God's saying, trust me with that. Just bring that into the light. Trust me to be with you there. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in and you've crossed some lines that you know you shouldn't have crossed. And God's saying, would you bring that into the light? Would you just step into the light? Would you trust me? Would you come out of the darkness on that? Maybe it's an addiction. Men, maybe it's pornography. Gambling. I don't know, whatever it is. Where is God calling you right now? Step into the light. Bring that into the light. Trust me on this. I know what I'm doing. Trust me on this. I want the best for you. Bring it into the light. See what I do with it. If it's something that you need to confess, confess it. If it's someone you need to forgive, forgive them. If it's someone you need to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. If it's a relationship you need to walk away from, walk away from it. If there's a deception and lie that you have been perpetuating, come clean. Yeah, but if I do that, if I do that, can I really trust God to be with me? Well, the answer is in 1 John. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of His Son, Jesus, purifies us from all sin. Maybe your translation says, continually cleanses us from all wrongdoing. See, if I step in the light, that's where God is. That's where God wants me to be. But what if I bring all my trash and junk and garbage into the light? The blood of Jesus can handle that. When the world thinks of Jacob, they don't think liar. They don't think deceiver. They think hero, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, he, 
he's kind of a hero in Old Testament history. Step into the light. God is calling you into the light. That's where he wants you to be. Listen, no judgment, okay? No judgment. Because we are all Jacob. We're all hiding something. We're all trying to, to manipulate something. We're all trying to be a little bit deceptive in some area. So no judgment. But if as a church family, if we can help you bring something into the light, if we can pray with you or for you about something that you would like to bring into the light, we would love to be able to do that. And you can meet us at the front of the auditorium here. Let's go ahead and be standing up and we'll sing.